Take your Bibles and turn to John 14. John 14. I've entitled this message, A Lasting Legacy, but I could have entitled it Comfort for Trouble Hearts, Part 5. <laughs> but I wanted to change things up a little bit. John chapter 14. And Cetus in the Daily Bread shared that when you go to therapists after an injury or after surgery, it's usually a painful experience. What they do is stretch and bend certain body parts in positions that are uncomfortable and hold it there for a few seconds. But then that therapist will say, okay, you can relax. (laughs) And this process is repeated a number of times, right? For those of you who have been to therapists, yeah, I've been there, heard those same things. Well, even though the disciples were troubled from Jesus stretching them, so to speak, by what he told them in chapter 13, here in chapter 14, it's like he's saying, okay, you can relax. (laughs) And you see this once again. In our text for today, as we close chapter 14, verses 25 to 31. So follow along as I read. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I say to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens. So that when it does happen, you may believe I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. And he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. May God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. You know, Jesus had been sharing a number of things with his disciples throughout his ministry with them. And he's sort of bringing it all together that night before his crucifixion to both encourage and challenge their troubled hearts. As he said there in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. He was referring back to verse 24 and the words That he spoke from the Father. The very words that the Father gave him to speak. He was speaking. For example, what might some of those things be? In chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. He will say, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How about chapter 16 and verse 1. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. 16 and verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. 
I have overcome the world. And in this section of the discourse, the very one that we're looking at today, verses 26 through 31, as Leon Morris pointed out, there is a renewed emphasis on Jesus going away and its consequences to the disciples. These consequences are not put in terms of sorrow, no, but a blessing. Absolutely they are. Jesus was actually both reminding and providing a lasting legacy to help his disciples rejoice as he went to the Father. Beloved, I believe that you can identify with this. Though many of your loved ones have passed, my loved ones have passed, some of them have left legacies. Most importantly, their example. Maybe words of wisdom that they have shared with your hearts over the years. So even in grief at their loss, there can be rejoicing, right? Because of the legacy that they're leaving behind. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's reminding them of the legacy that they have from Him. An eternal legacy. Well, with Jesus, God the Son, we do have an eternal legacy. And I want you to see that in our text for today. Through three elements. Through three of its elements. And I trust that it will be cause for rejoicing in your hearts. And a real encouragement to you. And one of those elements is right there in verse 26. What does he go on to say? But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. It's pretty clear, isn't it? What that element, that legacy that Christ has left us. You have the presence of the... Holy Spirit, yes. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told his disciples back in verse 16, these very words. And he would do it again in chapter 15 and verse 26, and also in chapter 16, verses 2 to 14. A total of four times he's going to speak to the Holy Spirit. Besides him indirectly referring to the Holy Spirit throughout chapters 14 to 16. It is emphasized in these chapters. And he wanted them to not just hear with their ears, but to understand with their hearts. That's why he kept saying it to them. Yes, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to give you another comforter, another one of the same kind to be with you. God the Spirit would be sent and given To abide in them. Wow. This would be something new, something special, and should have been exciting for them. As Jesus said in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yes, he will come to them through the Holy Spirit. What a lasting legacy. God at home with them. Now in this verse, the disciples were told that the Holy Spirit would do two things. Teach them, that is, illumine their minds and instruct them from within. But he would also do what else? 
bring all things to their remembrance. Help them to recall and understand what Jesus taught them while he was with them. You know, it's clear from chapter 14 that Thomas, Philip, Judas lack some understanding. That would indeed become clear later on. But there's something else I want you to understand here by what Jesus is saying regarding the Holy Spirit. A number of the disciples would be the men moved by the Holy Spirit to do what? Bring the word of God to us. Yes, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Many of these men would be bringing the scriptures to us. And so that's indicated by what Jesus says there in verse 26. So they had a rich blessing and they didn't realize it. Beloved, as you know, the presence of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. This has been the blessing of believers since the early church. And he continues to teach and to bring things to our remembrance so that we can grow in our understanding of God. Be drawn closer to Christ and be sanctified. I can't tell you how many times just this past week as I've been studying this message. How I have thought, oh, I've read this somewhere else. Oh, I've read this over here in this chapter. Oh, let me go back to something that Jesus said earlier. That's because of the Holy Spirit's work in my own heart. He's bringing all things to my remembrance. It's like I've got a, I'm a, I'm a human concordance here <laughs> with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me through it all. It's a blessing. It's a rich blessing. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. This was one of my favorite texts early on in my Christian life. It brought such encouragement to my heart, assurance of salvation. Beginning with verse 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, that's an unsaved man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual praises all things, yet he himself is praised by no one. Aren't you thankful for the Spirit of God in your hearts? You know, as I said before, I believe many of God's people today do not appreciate the ministry of the Holy Spirit, or they take it for granted, likely the latter. And you might say, well, how is that? I can tell you in one way. 
When you choose not to be in God's word regularly. When you choose not to be in God's word regularly. Where you are cooperating with the spirit as he applies God's word to your heart. It's the greatest unused power. As John MacArthur pointed out, the disciples and their contemporaries armed with the truth and accompanied by the presence of God would soon be those who turn the world upside down. <laughs> wow. Acts seventeen six. That's what was said of them. Why? Because of the work of the Spirit in their lives. And so I pray that you will take to heart the legacy you have in the Spirit to be sanctified in the truth and transformed by God's glory. This is one of the main themes of chapters 14 through 16. In fact, I think it's the most significant theme because he keeps coming back to it, keeps coming back to it, keeps coming back to it. I'm leaving you, but I'm giving you another comforter, another one of the same kind. You will not be left as orphans. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that God is at home in us as believers. Amen? Amen. So you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's a legacy. It's a lasting legacy. There's another element of God's legacy to us there in verse 27. And by the way, 26 and 27 go together. They do. He goes on and says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Again, what seems clear here? You have the promise of what? Peace. Yes, peace. And it's mentioned twice in this verse. The Greek term which Jesus used for peace here, irene, is the Hebrew equivalent of shalom. It speaks to wholeness, spiritual health, calmness of soul, a sense of rest and contentment in God. Well, this has to begin with salvation. Having a peace with God is declared in Romans 5, 1, right? It has to begin with salvation. You can't have those things without being at peace with God. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's this wall of sin between us and God. And when we put our faith alone in Jesus and His work, that wall... Of sin comes tumbling down. And we are reconciled with God. And His righteousness is applied to our account. That's wonderful. That's peace with God. But as you know, Jesus was speaking to His disciples who were already believers. And so what He was promising them was more subjective in nature. The peace of God. Which would remove anxiety and fear in their heart. As mentioned in the latter part of verse 27. This would be that which the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse 26. Would produce and develop in them. Yeah. We know Galatians 5 and verse 22, don't we? 
For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Yeah. So these two verses, 26 and 27, go together. So the peace that Jesus would leave with and give to his followers would be that which the world, the world could not give. That's why Jesus says there, not as the world gives, do I give to you. The Apostle John said later in his first epistle, these words in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, you know these words. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and all its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever you see the world is at odds with god right that's what it says there therefore anything that it may offer by way of peace and contentment is really false peace let me just give you some examples how about drugs i mean the drug of choice when i was growing up was marijuana smoke a joint And boy, you could have some peace. (laughs) How about alcohol? Yeah, just drink your worries and your anxieties away. Become numb. How about medications? There are lots of people out there that are depressed and they don't even understand why they're depressed. And it may not even be anything physical. It's primarily something that's spiritual. They're without God. They don't know God. The guilt of sin is upon their hearts. And so what do they do? They go to the doctor and the doctor gives them a prescription. And they take medications so that they will have some form of peace within their hearts. There's religion. Oh, just just join a church. You can get close to God. We all believe in the same God. Go to church. You'll have peace. Get religion. How about sex? Boy, that's being promoted left and right, isn't it? That'll give you peace. Well, just satisfy yourself. Materialism, pursuing riches. And I could go on and on and on what the world offers, but it's at odds with God. In fact, one writer shared this news report about a middle school in San Francisco that did a half hour of transcendental meditation with all the students every day. They claimed that grades had gone up and problems in the school had gone down since they began the program. The writer goes on to say that there was a cover story in the Parade magazine in 2015 which called meditation the number one health booster. It said politicians, children, and celebrities are doing it. Shouldn't you? (laughs) That's the way to peace. That's the way to prosperity. Now, beloved, I know that I'm speaking to the choir here this morning. But believers are tempted by these things. They certainly are. Rather than knowing real peace and contentment, 
God's way. We're going after placebos rather than the real thing. Jesus is offering the real thing to his disciples right here. And we as believers are looking for it in so many other areas than the word of God. And what Jesus claimed to his disciples. Shame on us. Shame on us. So how can you apply the peace of God which he supplies through the spirit? Because the Bible tells us in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule, act as an umpire in your life. So how can you apply the peace of God? I'm going to give you a number of things here this morning just to help you out with this. And a number of these things come right out of this text. Number one, trust in your sovereign God. Trust in your sovereign God. What did Jesus say right off the bat after he told him what he did in chapter 13? Verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me because I am God. I have everything in control. Trust in your sovereign God. Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Yeah. Number two, remind yourselves of the blessings and promises of God. Do that regularly. In fact, I would encourage you this week, since we're finishing up chapter 14, go back and read it again and see all the wonderful blessings that Jesus is promising his disciples. They're for us by extension right here in chapter 14. We won't take the time to do that this morning, but you can. Number three, bring everything to the Lord in prayer. Yes. What does he say in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14? Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What does he say in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24? In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Yes, take everything to the Lord in prayer. We walk around with anxiety and worry in our hearts. That's not God's will for us. Rather than bearing our hearts before the Lord. You know Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Number four, be in God's word and obey it. Yeah. Be in God's word and obey it. Isn't this what Jesus is talking about also in John 14? Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He comes back to it again in verse 21 and says the same thing. He says it again in verses 23 and 24, and he will not stop talking about it. You'll go into chapter 15, and in chapter 16, you'll see him saying it again. Peace comes in doing God's will. If you're not doing God's will, living by his word, you will not have peace. I like what it says in Psalm 119, 165. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Yeah. Number five. 
And we're kind of going out of the context here. Have a pure heart before God. Have a pure heart before God. Second Peter 3 and verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things. And in that text, he's talking about a new heavens and a new earth, which is to come. Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Have a pure heart before God. Number six, guard your thought life. Guard your thought life. Second Corinthians 10. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And in that section of scripture there, it's talking about false teaching. Yeah. When you've got false teaching, false ideologies that come to you through the world, if you're not careful, you'll be swept away by it. But we get into God's word and we are captured by his thoughts, not the thoughts of the world. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. I'm coming back to Philippians 4. That's why we had that scripture reading this morning. What does it say? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Wow. Yeah. I, I truly believe that if Christians can be disciplined in their thinking, boy, it's going to take you a long ways in your sanctification. It will. There's one other thing that I want to say here too as well. And that is seek to be right with others. Seek to be right with others. Romans 12 and verse 18, if possible... So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You want to know why there are conflicts in relationships and why many times there is no peace? You want to know why? James 4.1 tells us, from where do wars and fightings come from? Do they not come from the lusts? That war in your memory. In other words, your desires. I want what I want. You want to know why you struggle in your relationship with your spouse? It's because you want what you want. She wants what she wants. And this is what happens. Yeah. Even with family members. Even with our bosses. Our friends. People in the church. Sometimes there's just... The peace of God is not there because you're not right with one another. And the solution to that is humility. And that's what James 4 goes on to talk about in verses 6 and following. I would encourage you to go there even this week. And look what it says there as to why there is conflict, why there's no peace. But then the solution to it, it's humility. That's what God honors. Thinking of others as more important than yourselves. And so, beloved, may the Spirit of God help you to apply these principles. Know the fullness of His peace and rejoice in this wonderful legacy He has given to you. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit 
And you have the promise of peace. Wow. Wow. I can't say much more than that. (laughs) Wow. There's another element of God's legacy to us there in verses 28 to 31. Follow along as Jesus continues to speak to his disciples. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. What you have here really is a participation in Christ's joy. That's the legacy. What you have here is a participation in Christ's joy. I will say this, that at this point, the disciples' love for Jesus was not mature. He says there in verse 28, if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. Now, the understanding of that clause there is that they did love Jesus, but it was very weak as evidenced. They were living with sorrow rather than joy in their hearts. They were selfish, wanting Jesus to remain with them. In fact, even in chapter 16, verses 5 and 6, Jesus says, but now I am going to him, that is the Father who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. However, he was leaving them with reasons to rejoice in his departure in the latter part of this chapter. Number one, he was going home to the Father. Now, the disciples wanted him to be with them. But he wanted them to understand that he was going back to the very glory that he shared with the Father. Verse 28 there, latter part, it says, If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. You see, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he would return to the glory that he shared with the Father. In chapter 17, verse 1, this is what he says in his high priestly prayer to Jesus, I mean to the Father. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Look at verse five. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I'm going home to the father back to sharing the glory that he is experiencing. And that's why he said what he said there in verse 28. For the father is greater than I. He's not speaking about essence there. No, earlier he had said what? I and my father are one. We are equal. No, he's talking about position. 
His father is in heaven. He's on earth in his humiliation. But he's going back to the father. Rejoice with me in this. In fact, look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 5. Paul says, have this attitude. He's speaking back to what he said there in verses 3 and 4 about thinking of others as more important than yourselves. That's exactly what Jesus did. And he goes on to say that. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It doesn't stop there. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was going home to the Father. Rejoice with me in this. Number two, there's another reason. He is going to send them the Holy Spirit to abide in them, to lead them, to teach them, and to do greater works through them. <laughs> We don't need to speak much on that. We just got done talking about the Holy Spirit. Because he says there at the beginning of verse 28, You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. Back in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How is he going to come to them? Through the Holy Spirit. That's a reason to rejoice. Another of the same kind. God will be with you and in you, teaching you, leading you, guiding you. You will not be orphans. Also third, he was going to strengthen their faith through this. Look at verse 29. He goes on to say, now I have told you before it happens, before I go to the father, so that when it happens, you may believe. They will go stronger in their faith. I mean, how many times in the book of Acts do you see the apostles? And Luke is actually commenting on this. He's saying they remembered what Jesus had said to them back when he was with them. You see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, reminding them. But it's also a strengthening of their faith. Leon Morris points out in his commentary, they will trust their master all the more when they see his words verified. Yeah. So again, this is a good reason to rejoice in Christ's departure. But he didn't stop. Jesus was going to be vindicated. That's what he says there in verses 30 and 31. I will not speak much more with you. For the ruler of the world is coming. Who is that? That's Satan. 
And he's actually coming through the forces of Judas. What was Judas doing at the time? He was getting the Roman soldiers. He was getting the religious leaders. Who was behind that? Satan was. Jesus knew that. But I love what it says there at the end of verse 30. And he has nothing in me. Yes, this is going to happen. But he has no claim on me. There is nothing of which he can accuse me. And that's why he goes on to say, but so that the world may know that I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded me. He was going to do the work of redemption and show his love for the father and the world. Nothing was going to keep him from that. And so even in his departure, he was exonerated and should cause the hearts of his followers to rejoice. Now, there's something else that is not mentioned here in the immediate context, but in the broader context. There's something else to rejoice in here. And it takes us back to 14, 2 and 3, because he's leaving to go to the Father. And what does it say there? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Isn't that wonderful? We're looking forward to that day when he comes to receive us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. So the legacy with which Christ left was joy. He wanted them to rejoice. Joy in what he was doing and was going to do. As it says in Hebrews, the writers of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Yeah. So, beloved, as you meditate upon these truths in our difficult days, you can rejoice out of a love for Jesus. And this is what he desires of you. This is what he desires of me. Not to be filled with anxiety, sorrow, fear. I mean, right now, many of God's people are living with these kind of heart attitudes due to COVID. Yeah, there's fear out there as a result of that, even amongst Christians. How about events that are going on in the political world? How about the moral direction of our country? You turn on the news, you get on the internet, you see all that stuff. It might be a a good thing to take a fast from that. You don't need to be feeding your mind and heart with that. Yes, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. No, be feeding your heart with these truths that you've heard this morning. This lasting legacy that Jesus has left behind to his followers. This is what we need to be meditating upon in this day and age. And every age. So keep your eyes focused on Christ and his joy as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Turn with me to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. I love Psalm 2. 
It just talks about the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get your mind and heart wrapped around this. They'll produce joy. Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O king, show us discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He may not angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in Him. And so, beloved, trust in the Lord. Worship and rejoice in the One who has everything in control. That's what that psalm is telling us. That should bring great joy. I know I've never shared this with you, but my oldest uncle, you know, my dad's side, fought in World War II. He was uh, fighting the Japanese on the Solomon Islands. And uh, I can remember my father telling me this. My uncle Frank did not, but my dad did because uh, Frank had shared this with him. But when he was there on the island... It was hot one night. It was definitely hot there in the South Pacific. They were staying in tents, huge tents, a number of the guys were. And he was sleeping on a cot one night. And uh, all of a sudden he hears an airplane uh, coming overhead and then some shots and a blood-curdling cry. He lifted up his head off the pillow and bullets went across the pillow. He survived the war, but he came home with mental and emotional scars, as you can imagine. He also carried with him physical scars. My dad also told me this as well, that when Frank came home, his back was bothering him because of all the shrapnel from hand grenades and things of that nature. And so she would have him lay on the couch and she would open up the places where that shrapnel was out and pull some of those shrapnel out of his back I will tell you that all of this impacted his family life he was divorced three times as far as I know he never knew peace with God and thus the peace of God however beloved as believers you have been given the Holy Spirit what a legacy He produces peace in your hearts. What a legacy. And he helps you to understand all that Jesus has done, is doing, and is going to do for you. So that you might participate in his joy. These are the things that Jesus closes in chapter 14. May you rejoice in the legacy 
that Christ has given to you. Follow him no matter what trouble is going on around you because we do have lots of trouble. Get your hearts focused on Christ and appreciate this morning the legacy that you have from him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the joy it is to walk through this text and to see these things. Some of these things have already been repeated. But, oh God, you wanted us to get it. So many times we hear things with our ears, but we don't understand them with our hearts. So help us to not take for granted what we have, but to relish in these wonderful blessings which we have seen here in chapter 14. All to the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.